Hi, my name is Sydney Mitchell. Hi, I'm Matthew Brickman, Florida Supreme Court mediator. Welcome to the Mediate This podcast, where we discuss everything mediation and conflict resolution. All right. Good morning, everybody, or I guess good afternoon. Uh, Today's topic uh, that we're going to explore is, is your Valentine a narcissist? So we've got a family law attorney uh, that's going to weigh in and give us some really great information on how to know if you're married to a narcissist and what to do to legally get out if that is your choice to get out and away from a narcissist. So I am joined here by C.C. Uh, Van Tyne. So CC, tell us all about yourself, your legal practice. Go for it. All that jazz. So yeah. as you said, my name is CC Van Tyne. I'm an attorney in Boston. I practice at the law firm of Davis, Malm, and D'Agostine right in downtown Boston. I've been an attorney for GASP almost 30 years. I have like a few months shy, I think, of it, which is horrifying to me, but great for my clients, I guess, but not so much for me in the mirror. Um, and I have been a divorce attorney for almost all of my practice. There was a period of time when I was young, when I was an assistant district attorney, but since then I've practiced in the divorce probate and family court, um, almost exclusively. So, um, yeah, that's it. I'm a divorce lawyer for a really long time. So, so it was interesting. Um, I mean, I've, I've know a lot of divorce attorneys that start in the same, the same area that you did, um, and then move into family. What got you into family? So my mother is a divorce attorney. And okay. um, so that's that's what got me into family. Law. In fact, I worked, I worked for my mom in high school and in college and then clerked for two divorce judges through law school based on her connections and swore I would never be a divorce attorney. Absolutely not. Not going to do it. Um, loved litigating. Loved being an assistant DA. But at least in Massachusetts, there comes a time when you need to make a living and that is not typically as an assistant DA. So um, I thought, well, I'll try what my mom's doing. And I actually found that I really like it, that it is also litigation. It is also your, it's one of the other few practices that you're in court all of the time. And you're really, you know, impacting people in, in a positive way at a point that is very dark for many of them. And similar to um, the criminal justice system. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, being a family law mediator, um, you know, I, I always refer to myself as I sit in the friction of life. Um, and sometimes we are the only, you know, as, as, a, as an attorney, as a mediator in family, we may be the only light that they experience on what is otherwise their darkest day. Um, it's very rewarding. Very, very. It's not like it's not like we're working for the man, not really making an impact. Like we're impacting not just the people that we're with, but even future generations. And you know, um, so I, I love family law. Yeah, I know, um, and it's absolutely you're absolutely correct. On a day to day, almost minute to minute basis, you're impacting multiple different um, people, personalities, lives. Um, hopefully for the better, but at least you're trying. And I think that. Um, I think my clients and most attorneys' clients know that they are really there to help, which yeah. is which is pretty, as you say, it's very rewarding. Yeah. So, um, so let's get into our topic. I've I, I think I think probably the best place to start is defining. I, you know, we're going to talk about you know is your Valentine a narcissist? But I guess first we got to define like what is a narcissist. So obviously that's the question of the hour and it's a great question and it's interesting because it's a, it's a question that's defined by um, by psychology, not by law. Right. Um, I think when I first learned about narcissism, I think I learned, I knew it as what we all kind of know, oh, that person's a narcissist, kind of the throwaway term that for someone who's self-involved or seems really into themselves, arrogant. And it can be all those things, but it's actually in our line of work, yours and mine, it is actually the mental health disorder that we're talking about, which is narcissistic personality disorder. It's one of the personality disorders. And if I'm not mistaken, having 30 years of dealing with the therapeutic component with um, therapists as experts, as people who are assisting my clients, it's probably the most difficult to treat and it's one of the more difficult to be married to and to engage in a divorce from um, because of 
at its very core, who the people are, who are narcissistic um, personality disordered. Um, and so it's funny because I knew we were talking about this today and I've written about it before and spoken about it before, but I went and I pulled the um, DSM definition of the narcissistic personality disorder because I thought that would be a great place to start and I didn't want to misquote it. Okay. But I also found the Mayo Clinic had a definition as well. And I just thought that the two in conjunction um, for folks who are listening um, are going to be really illuminating because I think, you know, at the beginning when, when, when we're troubled by our relationship, we start to think, well, I must be, if they're a narcissist, right? Maybe you check one or two boxes, but as you go on, it really is a subset. And, and most people are not married to a narcissist, aren't engaged in a relationship with a narcissist, but they are definitely things to look out for. And so the Mayo Clinic describes narcissistic personality disorder as a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. And it goes on from there. But right. and and similarly, the DSM lists a group of uh, criteria that you need five of in order to be diagnosed as um, having mar- uh, narcissistic personality disorder, okay. including, as previously stated, a grandiose sense of self-importance preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, whatever um, beauty or ideal love. So that would, it, would that fall under like delusions of grandeur? Delusions of grandeur. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the best way to put it. A belief that they're special and unique and can only be understood by similarly special and unique people of high status, a need for excessive admiration a sense of entitlement. Here's an important one, I think, for, for our work, interpersonally exploitive behavior, a lack of empathy, envy of others, or a belief that others are envious of that person, and arrogant and haughty behaviors or attitudes. And so that seems like a lot, but it really does kind of come under that umbrella, as you say, of delusions of grandeur, an expectation that everybody else sees you as you see yourself, and um, and then that sort of lack of empathy, which creates problems within the relationship. Sure, sure. I had looked. Um, I, I I had looked this up, and and I had gotten the same. I, it was funny. I, I went to the same place. The Mayo Clinic definition. Oh yeah, um, let me go back to that. One. So 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 no. I mean, I had I, you know because I was like, okay, you know, narcissism. It's like, and especially as a mediator. I mean, it, it's almost thrown around like like the word love. Like, I love the dog. I love my lamp. I love you. I love the world. I, and it's like, okay, love, like whatever. You don't really love. But the narcissist, I hear that all the time. It's like, oh, Matthew, have you ever dealt with a narcissistic personality? I'm like... Yes, like, but and so sometimes it seems like it's just, like like you said, it's like a throwaway word. You just we just use it too often. Just check that box. One of the things that I had looked up, they they talked about five things that a narcissist hates. One of those is narcissists hate boundaries. And, Interesting. Yeah, and they said narcissists hate being questioned about being wrong. They 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 have to be right. And narcissists, um, they they are very very um, hyper aware of losing control. They're they're power freaks. They're manipulators because they have to keep control, and they hate being ignored. Like all the attention has to be about them. So you know you know the things that you're talking about. The, like whenever I hear the word narcissist. And and maybe maybe it's just the world we're currently living in, like post iPhone. But basically, <laughs> anybody with a social media account that thinks they're an influencer, whether TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, like look at me, like I'm trying on all these clothes in a dressing room, and look at me, and look, I'm going narcissist, like <laughs> you know. And and I don't know if social media has fed into this. And, 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 and I thought it was interesting. I did not know this until I looked at the Mayo Clinic definition, and then you hit on it right from the, from the start. It's, a, it's actually labeled a mental health 
condition. It's yep. not just a label. Like, it's actually like you've got mental health issues. And we know there are so many mental health issues these days. Um, so, how, all right, so, so I think we sort of kind of talked about like the, the check boxes of like, how do you know if your partner is narcissist? Um, are there any, like, I mean, in, in your experience, any, any one that like, it's always there? Like, I mean, it seems like there's a number of ones and maybe they've got like maybe three out of five, two out of four, like whatever. Is there any one that's just like screaming like, oh yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that because I would have said, ordinarily, I'm the classic lawyer. Well, it depends on the situation. Right, right. I've got a couple here, a couple there. Yeah. With a narcissist, the word that just flashes in my head, and maybe it's not fair, but it's gaslighting. And I think that whenever anybody says, um, I'm married to a narcissist, like you, I, I treat it at least initially with a grain of salt. Not yeah. judgmental, but yeah, more, yeah. all right, let's... Let's explore. Let's explore. Yeah. Because um, like you, I really believe in a mediated divorce agreement being the absolute avenue to the best results emotionally and financially yeah. for your kids. But there are some situations, balance of power situations, other situations where it is unlikely to be effective. And sure. one of those is in a narcissistic personality disorder situation. And so when somebody says, oh, they're so narcissistic, I'm going to want to drill down, not because I'm trying to check their work, but because I want to know candidly, okay, well, how much is this going to really cost you, right? Is it going to be 2,500 because it's a mediated settlement or is it going to be significantly more? We can never give like exact numbers, but people always want to know, can you ballpark it? And so when I say, well, you're telling me they're a narcissist, tell me why, or if just in conversations with people or if it comes up, the name or the word that consistently comes up in all of the situations is gaslighting. gaslighting. And I'm sure there's umpteen reasons that people feel gaslighted or that people gaslight. But in a narcissistic personality disorder, I find that that is sort of the the truism that that runs through all of the cases. People are being gaslit to meet the needs of the narcissist. Yeah. One of the things that I, that, that they, they had told us and I, and I'm, and I'm going, I've been mediating almost 17 years. So going way back to our, to my initial training, but then I've, I've learned through the years with continual education and, 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 and whatnot is in a, you know, in a mediation, how not, and, and this is, this is how I've been able to, you know, like when I'm dealing with narcissism, um, and still being able to, you know, cause sometimes, yes, a judge has to come in and break that power. Um, because no, if, if we go back to, you know, they're never wrong, they've got to be in power. Don't ignore. Okay. Fine. A judge is going to have to do that. But one of the things that, that, that I had learned that they had taught me, and I just keep dealing with, you know, with these types of behaviors is, um, they say, you know, when when you're helping someone negotiate, allow them to retain their belief system, but have them look at it from a different perspective and alter their behavior while still holding on to their belief system. Because if you try to alter their belief system, you won't get anywhere. And so when dealing with someone that's narcissistic, it's okay, well, make it all seem as though it's their idea, make them feel as though in control, make them feel like they had the last word, make them feel like they totally beat the other person up for the settlement and we can get a settlement, but it's knowing, but, and, and like, like you said, it's, it's knowing like, okay, are you really dealing with a narcissist or is it just a term that's just being thrown around and gaslighting gaslighting is to me is a fairly new term that I have only heard about maybe seven years ago, maybe it was the first time I think I ever heard of it. And at the time I'm like, I never heard of that. I don't even know what it is, but that's something else that now you hear a lot in the media. You hear, um, just everywhere where they talk about gaslighting. That seems to be a newer term, just like narcissism. And I think it's interesting how both of those terms sort of arose to the forefront at the same time. And you're saying that gaslighting is like one of the main elements that lead that, you know, you can identify a narcissist with. Well, I think that, you know, the first element is somebody says, um, I'm married to a narcissist. (laughs) But subsequent to that, 
Um, secondarily, I, I think if somebody says, and they may not even use the word gaslit, right? But frequently they do, especially now. I do think with yeah. social media, people are a little bit more um, savvy with the terminology. Yeah. But they'll say that um, you know the person has you know some of the classic examples where they have one persona for the world and another within the home and. But like anytime you question or say, well, how come you're so charming out in the world and you're so negative at home? They'll say, well, that's in your imagination. Yeah. And there's that, that, that gaslighting, right? It's always you're wrong, but they don't just flat out, they're, they're tricky with it. And yeah. so um, anything, any of the indicia that you question, that, that, what are you talking about? Like you just, you have a bad memory. That's not how it happened at all. I don't understand why you're putting this on me. You're so forgetful. All of those things um, is sort of when the people, the sort of the non-disordered spouse starts to question or see issues, the pushback in my mind, I'm sort of referring to as gaslighting. Yeah. So, so those are the warning is. signs. Some, some of those right. phrases that you just brought up, some of those are like the warning signs that then, like you said, the, the, the other spouse you know, it's like, okay, we got little red flags going off here because they're, you know, I'm questioning this, they're freaking out, then they're blaming, but not blaming. And well, and one of the things that I that I commonly hear too is the the, the non-narcissistic spouse comes in sort of questioning their own sanity. Oh, sure. Right? They're like, they're like, yeah, I mean, they're they're almost like, well, you know, I might have, you know, triggered them and, you know, I might have said something that then, you know, caused this. And Well, there's that diffidence, right? Because they've been living in a foxhole and taking enemy fire from the person who's supposed to be in that foxhole with them um, for, for, in many cases, for so long that... um, they really do question themselves. It's, you find the, you find the non-disordered spouse in many situations is so brittle and doesn't trust their own voice, yeah. doesn't trust themselves, and for a long time perhaps trusted the disordered voice over their own. And so imagine that dynamic when you're um, contemplating, you know, standing on your own feet sure. away from that source of support that really wasn't a support at all. So terrifying. So do you find that, and, and, and maybe, I, I don't know if it's a general, general, like most of the time, all of the time, some of the time, but in your experience dealing with a, you know, with the narcissistic personality disorder, do you find that at some point, maybe there's also isolation from family, isolation from friends, like maybe they move away and now there's no support unit, you know, cause like, you know, with what we do in, in, in a divorce, it's like, okay, well now we're going to have two homes and we're going to have the, the parenting plan and stuff. And then one spouse, usually the, you know, the, the non-narcissistic spouse is isolated and they don't have a support unit. And maybe the other one does, and maybe that's fed their narcissism. I don't know. So I don't what know that. So I know that when when people are subject to abuse, and I think that some of the behaviors in a narcissistic personality disordered individual are abusive. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that abusers are successful is um, isolating the victim. Um, in this instance, with narcissism, I don't know, frankly, how much is by design. I want to isolate them so I can control them as, as much as it is perhaps being sort of wrapped up in that sort of delusions of grandeur, but that whoever it is that the non-disordered spouse um, has as friends, family, if they're not good enough, um, they're not going to want to hang out with them, right? They're not sure. going to want to be with them. They're, they're, they're not as well-educated. They're not as smart. They're not as wealthy. They're not as successful. They can't do anything for me. And over time, and I did read some articles where they talked about, and it resonated with me for my own practice they talked about people being embarrassed just about their disordered spouse because they could at least see enough that you know it was awkward having your family with with your spouse when your spouse was you know carrying on like they were the greatest thing and and telling tall tales about themselves that everybody knew were not accurate and so perhaps there was a little self-isolation self-isolation is easier said than said um going on as well because it's just embarrassing to have your spouse out there telling everyone how awesome they are. Um, But yes, I do think that 
one of the things that people who are considering divorcing or in the process of divorcing a um, narcissist should do if they don't already have that support network is to begin to reorganize a support network, which would include, from my vantage point, obviously, a lawyer. But in addition to a lawyer, a a strong therapist, therapeutic care, friends, family, um, and start figuring out how do I unwire um, my at least short-term belief system that I am not bright, don't know what I'm talking about, don't remember things accurately, right? And so whether, I don't know, I know that was sort of like, I kind of took a hard left and maybe didn't exactly answer your question. No, you did. You did. did. (laughs) I do find it, I just don't know how much of isolation is as a result of the abusive component of narcissistic personality disorder or just of abusive relationships in general. But I do find that people who are in troubled relationships are frequently isolated. Yeah. So, so the, you know, we had talked about some of the, the the warning signs and some of the phrases and stuff that that people use. Um, do those signs are are they different? Like when people are dating versus when they're married? I think so. Um, I again, <clears throat> it's all apocryphal for me. It's people recounting when it you know that they didn't see it. Um, I'm not, I don't know these folks at the time that they're dating. Um, and while I do prenuptial agreements, people aren't telling me that I I want my prenup because my spouse to be is a narcissist. So I, I'm having it from an apocryphal vantage point, but I do think based upon my communications with clients and, and, um, therapists and, and what I read that part of the, the charge or, or what a narcissist gets out of life is getting people to buy into how great they are. Yeah. That's why they're so charming and they they want you to believe these these great stories about them. And so people that they don't know, um they're they're selling whatever it is that they're selling to them and that would include I would imagine the person that they're dating. And so well, we can all joke around and, and, and a lot of my clients have, once they're sort of through it, have a good sense of humor about the red flags that, that were being run through the room that they ignored. And, and the, typically, I don't think that the red flags are that big because I think that the narcissist is doing a really good job of selling themselves sure. as empathetic. You know, I read an article not too long ago because it was talking about this lack of empathy with narcissists, but that they will perceive as can be perceived as being the most sympathetic person you've ever met. They, they just, they go over the top. So you would not think that they lacked empathy. You'd think they were the most empathetic. You wouldn't think show. that they weren't caring. They're the most caring. And so, correct. Like, I don't think people start to see, um, there's, as my mother used to say, their slip doesn't start showing until farther into the relationship, sure. right? A baby arrives sure. or a job is lost. So there's something that they can't handle. Yeah. And then the process moves on from there. Well, and it's, yeah, and, and and going back to like you know, I, I had mentioned some of the five things narcissist hates. You know, losing control or power. Well, you know, just like you said, like a baby. Uh, you know, if, if there's a life event that they don't have any control over, then yeah, that can create a speed bump, and then your slip is showing. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's like oh, um, so. Is it typical for someone to know if their partner is narcissistic, narcissistic before marriage? I mean, it seems like. Let me actually, you know what? Let me ask you this. Um, I I had a, an attorney on the show not too long ago. We were talking about how the millennial generation is not getting married. Um, you know, they're getting married much later, or they're just living together. So, you know. I guess it depends, and well, and the other thing too is they're they're some of them are dating and getting married very fast. You know, you know, they're dating and they're getting married. There's not even time to actually really get to know someone, go through maybe a life event where then the slip is showing. Um, you know, like my daughter dated her husband, I think, for three years. Well, in three years, they went through a couple of different things because you know they they went through college and then they you know, were dating and then they had, you know, some family medical issues on both sides and like, you know, her husband lost a dog, you know, things like that. Life happens. But, 
you know, I mean, warning signs are they, are they are they more or less before or after marriage? I think they're probably less before marriage. Again, to your point, I think it depends to a degree on the length of the relationship before the marriage, and um, if you have a small delta between date one and I do, you're not going to be able to person will still be so new they'll still be getting sold to and as you said with uh, your daughter and son-in-law there won't have been any of the life events the life intervenes the bumps that, that where you can see how the other person handles yeah life events um so i would say that most of the time unless it's a long-term dating relationship i don't think people are aware that the other person is a narcissist i would imagine Again, based um, on my experience that people, many folks later on, you know, when they're getting divorced, when I'm talking to them, they'll say, I knew I shouldn't have married them. In hindsight. We had the wedding date, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to articulate why. That there's there's something, if it's that sixth sense, if it's, you know, your friend being like, don't marry that guy, whatever it is, there's plenty of people who say, you know, I thought about it and I I, I thought, I, I Perhaps I shouldn't be marrying this person, and I did it anyway. Yeah. And and which is interesting because usually then it's like eighteen years later. <laughs> yeah. And you're well, like, well, okay, but what happened for eighteen years? But then, yeah. Then there's the whole pattern with yeah. the narcissist sort of working on you. Well, and if and and I think if people actually took the premarital counseling or premarital classes, um, I know in Florida we've got. There, there, there's something by the court that you have to do. It's either a class or something, or or the priest has to do whatever. I think if people actually took that more seriously, or if that was a little bit more rigorous, like put them through a Myers Briggs personality assessment, <laughs> like you might say, you might find that out in the premarital stage before you actually say I do. Um, you know, because you know, I, I mean, because yeah, I mean. Rose-colored glasses. Oh yeah, they're wonderful. Life is going to be wonderful. We've got all these wonderful plans for our life, but you don't know what the other one's got planned for you. Right, right. Um, but, but, but I don't know if that would, you know, think about when you're young and it's you're in love and and it's the the most amazing thing in the world and yep. you can solve anything. I imagine that some of those folks, if they were presented with the Rorschach test that said this guy's crazy. They would, <clears throat> they would likely come up with an excuse for why. Well, and that was look. I've known you for about thirty-seven minutes, but I will tell you this: that I got married at twenty-one, um, had my daughter at twenty-one, had my son at twenty-three. Everybody said, "Do not marry her." My father was a minister and did, um, and then and both both my parents were. Uh, marriage counselors. And so my father was like, well, look, you know, before I do your wedding, you need to go through my premarital counseling. I was like, sure, dad, why? Why? Whatever. We didn't get past the first session. And he's like, you guys should not be getting married. (laughs) And of course, at 21, did I want to hear that? No, I did not want to hear that. Now, when I got, you know, when I got divorced, oh, everything they warned and told me about happened. I just wasn't going to listen. So before I got married for the second time, I went extremely slow, eyes wide open, um, paying attention because, you know, and, and my wife and I still joke to this day. We have this thing, you know, we, we go like this little red flag, little red flag, you know, with, with just things that we hear someone might say or we hear that someone might do or like little red flag, like those are flags, you know, ju- just like you said, you know, it's not, the, it's not the big checkered flag at the day. Yeah, just like running through the road and you're like, what yeah, was that? No, no, like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's just little ones. Red paper on it though. You'll appreciate this. I don't want to go too far afield. I know you have a time budget, but. My folks have been married, um, I don't know, they got married in 65, and um, which was at the end of my father. My father graduated college, uh, was sworn in as an ensign in the Navy because he went uh, Navy ROTC and got married to my mom all in the same weekend. And my mom was also at college, same school or the sister school, took a year off and then went back and finished and then became a divorce lawyer, right? So however long ago that is, 60 years, 55 
long time. At the wedding, my father's father came up from Orlando um, and, and brought him a this beautiful red Barracuda convertible something or other. And the day before the wedding told him, the keys are in it. You can be halfway to Florida before they know that you're gone. <laughs> that is how much my father's father thought my parents should be getting married. And wow. uh, all sorts of reasons. My dad's family were Republican. My mom's family were Democrat. Right. Like, the, the, all you could go, you could run oh, down the list. Yeah. Irish, not Irish, like the whole yeah. thing. Um, and they're too young and whatever. And they still laugh about it, right? 60 odd years later. Yeah. So, you know, but I'm sure they'd also tell you, yeah, you know, there was probably some red flags, but they dealt with them. So, yeah. You know, but it's not, hard to say, but yeah. circling but back, not narcissists, you know, not, not narcissists, not, not gaslighting. No, no, no. Okay, so, two hardworking goofballs. Yeah, just still, trying to make it work back in the 60s, yep. back in the 60s. Yep, exactly. All right, so you alluded to something and, and um, you had talked about a, a prenup, like, you know, usually narcissists don't, uh, or, or the spouse not the narcissist, uh, does not know prior to getting married or like if they're doing prenups and like, oh yeah, I need a prenup because I'm being married. I'm going to marry a narcissist. Right. But what what are the legal considerations that someone should make before marrying a narcissist? I guess if they know that they're a narcissist (laughs) or maybe maybe if they don't know. I saw that question as well, and I thought, well, I can't imagine why anyone would want to marry a narcissist. So let's put that out there. Like my <laughs> yeah. my initial reaction was, what you should do is not marry a narcissist. Like yeah. of any Run. person, I I believe that if if somebody is bipolar, you should marry them. If somebody has uh, is depressed, you should like. I think any number of mental health disorders. The, if the person's a great person, you should marry them, and we shouldn't be ashamed of our mental health disorders, sure. with the exception of narcissistic personality disorder. And that one, I'm going to say, I would have a real strong suggestion that you maybe rethink the marriage, because I also have I've read numerous places and spoken to people, the most difficult to treat personality disorder, and I may have already said this, is narcissistic personality disorder, because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. Yeah. How do you treat someone who isn't broken in their mind? Well, and, look um, at AA. Step one is admitting that you have a problem. Right. And if right? you're not willing, or you, you could pair it, but if you can't own that you have something that needs fixing, how do you fix it? Yeah. That being said, if somebody were to say, well, what would you want to see? I'd want to see a prenuptial agreement. And the reason I would is for the, is for the same reason I sort of touched on at the beginning that... Um, that narcissists make mediation more difficult. And it's simply because, not because they want to necessarily grind the other person into the ground, although it could be, but because they have a, a, a way that they see that everything has to progress. And if they accept, you know, if they accept that there's going to be a divorce, maybe they can mediate so long as, as you say, you stated, their needs can be met within the mediation. But knowing what that's going to be is it, uh, it would be a challenge. And often they want to grind the axe because how dare you? I haven't said that you can leave. Um, and they will they will believe in a pyrrhic victory. That's a win for them. They don't care. They they want to win. And winning is whatever it is the definition in their head, which may result in extreme expense and chaos. If you have a prenuptial agreement, even if you don't have a lot, like a lot of folks, like I know myself, I don't have, I didn't have a prenup because neither of us had anything. And so we thought, well, what's the point of that? But nowadays, um, even if you don't have a lot, if you want to make sure that if there is a a terminus to the marriage, and that could be for death, right? Like um, you can, you can decide what you're going to do with your estate in a prenup or, or a divorce you can reduce the chaos or you can at least try because there's plenty of people who fight the prenup. Um, But even that is a limited amount of chaos. You can reduce the chaos by coming up with an agreement of how everything's going to be resolved now. And frankly, if it turns into a battle negotiating a prenup, well, maybe that's enough of the giant checkered flag running in the room that would help. So I would say a prenup is incredibly important. And I've read, like you touched upon the fact that a, a, that a narcissist sort of rejects boundaries. 
And um, and I read again somewhere that an important thing, if you know that you're in a relationship with a narcissist and candidly inexplicably want to stay in the relationship with a narcissist before a marriage, or you have to after, right? You've got kids, there's other considerations. Establishing and, and fighting for those boundaries is, is mandatory. And so starting before the marriage, prenup, boundaries, acquisition and maintenance of documents and, and data, because um, if, uh, again, kind of hearkening to the gaslighting, and not even gaslighting, but sort of the revisionist history that you find narcissists engage in because they want the world to perceive them in a particular way. They're going to try to manipulate you, the courts, the legal system, their friends, having um, a separately saved set of all of documentation, um, I think is, in, is incredibly important. Having a therapist um, and, and friends and um, trusted advisors outside of the relationship that you can go um, and sort of have sort of spot checks. Is it me? Yeah. Am I crazy? Like, this is what was said. No, you're not crazy. You Right? I, I think all of those are things it would really, it, it's going to take a village. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It seems in, almost insurmountable, but those would be the things that I would recommend. Wow. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, all right. So I've got a few more questions. Um, and so, um, let's keep going talking about, is your Valentine a narcissist? So, uh, next question for you. Is it common or true for narcissistic partners to want a prenup before getting married? So I guess this is the, I don't know. So, so the question, would a narcissist want a prenup? Would they be wanting to control the other person using you to create a document for their control? Like, like, cause I think we just talked about, okay, well, all right. You, you know, the person who might be getting gaslit may want one, but would a right. narcissist actually be wanting one to control things, you know, if they are control freaks? So we, so uh, I think I've already said it before. Um, classic lawyer answer. It depends. It depends. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I really think, and, and my clients hate me for that one, but I always say I'm like classic lawyer answer coming up because it really does depend. I would imagine my initial reaction would be, well, I don't know. But then I thought about it and I bet it really is. It depends on the facts. So if I'm a narcissist who has managed to pitch my wagon to a family of means, and um, maybe um, I want to um, not have a prenup, right? I, I want to make sure that there's, but if I'm somebody, uh, there are, I'm sure are plenty of narcissists who are well-to-do and they would want to make sure that this other person gets nothing of what they perceive of yeah. as theirs. And so I think it would have to be sort of fact specific. What is their end game? Yeah. Is their end game protecting um, from their spouse or is it acquiring of their spouse? Yeah. And so I think that would be the question. All right. So I was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question from an attorney point of view. Because I guess, like, if somebody comes and sees you and wants a prenup, you may not know if they're the gas lighter or the other one. So like, yeah. So, so like what would be the clues for you as an attorney that might be different from the actual person that there, that, that is in it on a daily basis? Are there, is there something that maybe like sparks you going, wait a second, this seems like a narcissistic personality disorder of either the narcissist or the other party. You know, because, you know, because if you're the know. one drafting the right. prenup and, and meeting with them, talking with them, are there things that spark little, little, little flags for you? Well, I don't know that I would necessarily within the confines of drafting of the prenup, which again can take, I've had them where they're done in a matter of weeks. I've had them where they've taken six months because there's so much at stake or there's a person who's there's a lot of personality <laughs> behind the negotiations. Um, <clears throat> but with respect to whether or not someone is, is truly a narcissistic personality disorder, as opposed to maybe just as you were talking about earlier, like with social media and like, yeah. there's a lot more id yeah. running around nowadays. I'm, I'm than maybe when I was young. <laughs> so um, 
I don't know that I would be able, I think I would be able to divine that there are issues, um, but not necessarily that it would be a narcissist. Because again, I'm going to be presented with the same, let's assume it's my client's the narcissist. Unless I have separate and independent information that they're not as great as they are telling me that they are, um, you know, perhaps opposing counsel, like if we're, yeah. you know, I will say one thing about me with negotiating uh, prenups. I'm as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs yeah. with those because I'm terrified I'm going to blow up a wedding. Yeah. And I don't want to do that, but I need to protect them. Sure. And so if the opposing counsel says, you're, you know, gives me an insight, oh, your client, you know, carries on like they're so maybe, but I honestly don't think that I'd be able to pick up whether or not someone is telling me, unless I suppose, as I talk this through, if somebody is carrying on with grandiosity, right? then they yeah. do their the delusions um, of grandeur, right? And then they do right. their schedule, right? Each party in a prenup needs to schedule their assets and their liabilities, income, et cetera. And the assets, the liability, the, the liabilities exceed the assets, their income is de minimis. And yet they're talking to me about how, wonderful and amazing they are, then yeah, I think in that instance, I would think, okay, <laughs> it's very warm in this guy's world, um, probably a little bit in, in the narcissist spectrum. Yeah. But All right, so now, okay, so fine. You've done the prenup. You didn't blow up the wedding. They got married. Uh-oh, now they're getting divorced. So what should the other person expect from their narcissistic partner when it comes to a legal battle? And what if the partner decides to drag out the divorce? Then what? So I because think it's power and control. It's power and control and it's winning. Yeah. And, and winning is really tough to do in a divorce because I remember when I was in law school and I was clerking for um, this wonderful judge who has since passed away, Justice Sheila McGovern, and she was wonderful. The most amazing judge. And she told me that if, and it sounds terrible, but she said, if both parties leave my courtroom unhappy, I've done my job. And I thought, well, I that's hear that all that's the time. That. I hear that all the time. About it. Yep. Because what she was really saying is if somebody's celebrating and the other person's deflated, that's not equity. Something went if wrong. If you can find a way for yeah. equity to be net neutral, great. But um, so a, a, a well-ordered divorce there is no true clear winner other than perhaps the kids win or the parties win because they're able to move on. And that wouldn't work for a narcissist. And that's my concern when if somebody comes in and says, I have a narcissist first spouse, certainly we'll hope for the best. We'll hope that mediators such as yourself will step in and will get the job done. But I would tell them to expect the worst and expecting the worst would be within the confines of the mass probate family court system for how long a case could take. Expect this case to take that long. Expect them to try to churn, you know, if they have control over some money that the, that my client doesn't, to try to outpace them in terms of legal fees. Expect them to make everything a to-do. that they, And they would view the court system as, as yet another audience to their, to their greatness, right? And so expect it to get at least short-term uglier before it gets better. One way I think that you can off-put somebody who's a narcissist is if things don't go that way they plan early on in the process. And I don't necessarily mean legally, but just nobody wants the lens held up to their, you know, to their true self in public. Sure. And if you are effective in that regard in early motions or, you know, handedly threatening, look, at, you don't want to, the court to hear about X, Y, and Z. Let's yeah. come to the table, right? You really want to, you really uh, want to air uh, your dirty laundry for... The right. public to find out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I use that a lot as a mediator. I, I, I use that a lot as a mediator. I'm like, look, you know, just like you said, I said, look, you want to go to court, nobody's going to win. You're both going to be covered in mud. The judge is going to hate everybody and you both are going to walk out pissed off. Like, that's just how it is. I said, if somebody walks out going, nailed it. Okay. Something went wrong. Um, right. But it's the same thing even with mediation. But I say, look, you know, you know, as a mediator, the only agreement that I'll let anybody sign is one that you can live with. You don't ask yourself, is is it good? Is it bad? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it fair? Is it unfair? Can you live with the terms? Mm -hmm. And so by presenting it 
as something you can live with, you take away the power of, okay, this is right, that is wrong, this is good, that is bad, that is fair, that is unfair, which are all the power and control. And so as a mediator, I'm like, look, you you create something that you can live with. But that's when we can negotiate the power around and, you know, make one party feel as though maybe they totally beat them up. Um, you know, um, it's just, you know, negotiation techniques where I'm like, look, right. you, know, you know, figure this out. We can keep things private. You don't have to air things out. But then I think, you know, sometimes... In the judicial process, whether maybe it's a deposition may help, you know, move the process along. Oh, exactly. Um, well, that's what I'm talking about. Like yeah, if it's yeah, if, if a deposition, people become more motivated to go back to the mediator. Yeah. So, so in Boston, um, where you are in Massachusetts, um, if you know, you said, okay, you know, expect the if dealing with the narcissist, expect the worst. It's going to take as long as possible. You know, it's going to take as long as 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 normal or whatnot. And you're almost 30 years practicing history, what's the average divorce take? No, so if it's without, negotiated with, without a narcissist, and then we're going to talk about, okay, sometimes if you get a narcissist, so average, average. I would say your average divorce where somebody files, but then they ultimately work the system, work it out themselves is about a year to a year and a half. Okay. And, and part and, of that isn't the party's problem. It's because especially post-pandemic, the court system is really backed up, sure. and so getting in front of the judge is is can be problematic depending upon the court yeah. and what it is that you're hoping to do. So about it, I would say count on. I, I tell people if we can get stuff negotiated, you'll be done in under a year. If we need the court's assistance to res, to resolve the issues short of trial, count on a year and a half. Um, and but if you're going to litigate. Again, because of the court system and their count on two, at least. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people have an unrealistic expectation just watching TV of courts. They think that, you know, it's it's Judge Judy. They're going to go in, they're going to talk, and they're going to rule from the bench. No. Right. Yeah. You know, um, and they think, okay, well, okay, you know what, Cece? I'm not agreeing. Schedule a hearing. Okay, we'll see. Let's see. It's February. We'll see the judge in November. What? November? Like they think they're they're going to see him tomorrow. Um, and so some of that also I find helps people settle because you want to sit in a holding pattern with that person. The judge will say, "All right, we'll give you your date, and we'll ask for the date because we don't want to sure. lose our spot in sure. line." And then we'll say, "All right, now let's talk about arbitration, conciliation, mediation. Sure. What in the neutral spectrum is going to get it, the job done?" For these clients so that they're done because the one thing with mass and i'm sure it's everywhere but at least with massachusetts it, it, say the court said um you know we have some judges that are scheduling motions in 2024 yeah. not even like trials yeah and you can do emergencies but in any event if they say you're not going to get heard on this matter till 2024 we'll get our date and then we'll try to negotiate the settlement if we get the settlement done we can set, tell that same court we have a settlement, and they'll sure. say, "Come on in!" Like they're not going to make you wait. Yeah, yeah. Which is a great um, value add for a client who thinks I really psychologically need to be rid of this person. Sure. <laughs> like, so I'm willing, and kind of to your point about um, whether or not you know, it, does it? Can you live with it as opposed to is it a win? Frequently, I will tell people if there's amounts of money that the other side is looking for that you don't, you editorial don't think are fair. But it's going to cost more in litigation. I'm always yep. like, take whatever you'd pay me. Yep. Cost value analysis. Pay it to the other side because we buy things, at least I and most of the clients that I'm telling this to, we pay money for things that make us happy. I could drive a Yugo, right? I could drive a bicycle to work. I don't. I drive a nice car because it makes me happy. I, sure. I paid for it because I liked it. Make, get rid of this person yep. will make you happy. So, so do that thing. And most, and many of the clients will, will do that. So, yeah. but yeah, it can be two years. It could yeah. be that long. Well, and in Florida, the, 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 as of last year, they said the average is 22 months average, um, you know, with attorneys going through the process, just because of, you know, the other thing that a lot of clients don't understand is timelines. It's like, okay, I'm going to file this. Then you have X amount of days to respond. Okay. Right, exactly. And then, and then, and then, and then you file a response and they have X amount of days to then respond to that. And it's like playing leapfrog. And it's like, well, right. that's the process. And people get frustrated with us as practitioners going, why is this taking so long? It's like, 
well, you're in charge. What do you want to do with your life? And it's like, well, then you don't want to settle. Then we've got to go through right. this process. But how does... So so we've talked about, like, how does the narcissistic personality affect the spouse? In a divorce, how does that legal process and that narcissistic uh, personality disorder affect the parenting plan or the children involved? Because, like... It's easy when husband and wife don't have kids, you get a divorce, they never have to see each other again. But right. what if you're still having yeah. to deal with that person yeah. because you have kids and you're still having to do the exchange and co-parent and tell us about that. Talk to me about so, that. So um, I think that, um, and again, this is going to be an expression that I probably is a bit overused and I'm sure you've heard, but I think the, the, the expression that comes to mind when dealing with a narcissistic personality disordered individual in parenting is parental alienation. And you're going yeah. to find that there will be, um, and it could run one of two ways. They could perceive, they could be the person decrying perceptions of parental alienation because Anything that doesn't sort of match how they view people should be talking about them is could be viewed as being, you know, punitive. Um, but more, I think, because it's all about winning, I imagine that they would be doing a fair job of trying to sort of win um, with the children, um, which is pretty dangerous yeah. um, for the Use children's mental health. Yeah. And um, using them as pawns, then, and, and um, I love you more, and your mother doesn't love you as much as I do, or your father is never around, and I'm the one who cared for you, and he was never around, and not saying because I prevented him from being around, right? Um, and sort of, they, I imagine <clears throat> from my personal experience, I know that people who are narcissists make it very difficult to co parent. Yeah. Um, because theirs is the only way and they need all of the, everybody viewing them through the lens that they've decided that they need to be viewed through. One of the things that, um, and I I don't know about Massachusetts law, one of the things that Florida law did, I want to say 2019, I could be off by a year or so, 2018, 2019, they actually updated the statute, which has really, really helped dealing with exactly what you're talking about, parental alienation, dealing with a narcissist that uses that, is they added something to the statute. So in Florida, our family is uh, family laws in Chapter 61. So in Chapter 61, subsection 132B3A, I've got it memorized. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, okay. I'll take your word for that one. Yeah, yeah. they actually, so, so what it says is, is, is if the parties have shared parental responsibility and decision-making, and in the parenting plan, if we referenced chapter 61, subsection 132B3A, then either parent can put the kids in therapy and, with, and without mutual consent. Well, if either parent can do that, that then gives the children the voice because you know, before it used to be, hey, look, for, for therapy for the children, you, parents must mutually agree. Do you think that somebody with a narcissistic personality disorder is going right. to agree to let right. the kids go in and tell them what they're doing? Yeah, no. But now that Florida added that and said, look, you know what? Either parent, as long as they've got shared parental, and we reference that statute in the parenting plan, either parent can unilaterally get the kids mental health treatment. That's really taken care of a lot of that parental alienation because there's no more hiding. Um, which has been really good. That's interesting because here it's a little different, although you know, here, again, because it's a the legal custodial designation mandates that both people need to be on board for things like therapeutic care. However, um, usually you can tell before the, the divorce that somebody's going to be a block to that and you can get the order to include that a therapist will be utilized if necessary. Sure. And the courts, um, I remember I went in because... Uh, I was the one saying that I didn't think that the child needed it because my client was saying that he didn't think that the child needed it and just, and and he felt like it should be a parental decision. It didn't have to do with any, any manipulation or anything like that. And the judge said, it's a divorce. And if anybody says a child needs therapy, I'm going to order it. And in fact, I think every child should have a therapist in a divorce. I don't disagree with him. I actually absolutely believe that everyone should have a therapist 
problem is nowadays here, I don't know what it's like in Florida, but there um, therapists are not thick upon the ground um, because of so much of the post-pandemic fallout mental health-wise. And so people aren't taking new patients because they're overwhelmed with patients. And so we have catalogs of kids waiting for therapists. Really? Um, but even when they get a therapist, and a lot of it is, you know, there's concerns because there's Zoom therapy and the parent will be off camera sure. manipulating. Sure. Um, or the parent will, go, you know, one parent will manipulate the therapist. Like not all therapists are created equal. Sure. And some children will have, even if the child's not necessarily aligned with a parent yet, the parent will create an alignment with a therapist who won't realize the dynamic and will perhaps miss things. So I think it's a great first step. And I think it's a, a situation that I don't necessarily have the, have the answer for, but it's yeah. definitely still out there that how do you protect children, give children access to both parents, which they need. Sure. Whilst protecting them from that access. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, I mean, so, so between that and then, um, under Florida's mental health statute, um, then a child that is 13, yeah, 13 years old, if uh, they can unilaterally obtain mental health eval and services without the consent of either parent. So, um, which I think is very good because, you know, we've got a lot of kids, you know, with middle school and being bullied and social media and everything, and they just have nowhere to turn and don't even want to tell their parents um, or whatnot, but they can actually get their own under Florida's mental health statute. So, you know, Florida sort of, I guess, you know, jumped ahead maybe and said, okay, look, you know what, we're going to make it where the children always have access in a divorce or a paternity action because... You know, and and that seems to keep everybody on guard, at least to a. Uh, I mean, through the years now, like when I started in '07, um, gosh, they were. I remember they were doing conferences on uh, parental alienation, and you'd go talk to an attorney that just went to a conference, and every case was parental alienation. Like they they were throwing around parental alienation like we do narcissistic, like we do the word love. Right. Like, right, and that's it, and, what I'm saying. It's yeah. not every case. Is and it's not every case, but it does seem that the narcissistic personality is involved in those parental alienation cases. Um, um, so, one more question. Um, as a divorce attorney, what advice or legal steps do you recommend to follow to someone going through a divorce with a narcissist or, again, if dating one? You know, what would be the legal steps? I mean, and we've talked about like pre, you know what? Let me ask you this. Forget about getting married. What if they're just dating? What do you do to protect yourself from from that just dating? I guess from just dating, um, same sort of things I touched on before about being really careful with boundaries, making sure that your team is in place, that you have a, a therapist and friends and people to bounce things off of. I'd continue to acquire and store safely data. And by data, I mean, um, if you're sharing, if you're living together, uh, because if you're just dating, um, it's the emotional impact that you would be protecting against. But if you're living together or if you're going to be sharing assets, living in the same house, you know, make sure that it's papered, that you're protected. So that if, you know, I had somebody come to me this wasn't necessary. I don't think this necessarily had anything to do with narcissism, but this person came, they'd been living for, I don't know, five, five, six years, maybe longer with um, a boyfriend in a condo owned by the boyfriend and um, had no assets in their own name. And so it was probably longer and no income of their own. They had quit their job to travel with their boyfriend, to live with their boyfriend, live the highway, right? And now they were getting, um, they were breaking up and, and what could they do? And really Massachusetts does not have palimony. There were no children. Um, the condo was exclusively owned by the boyfriend. The assets were in the boyfriend's name. There was very little that could be done. Yeah. And so I would say that if you're in a dating relationship with a narcissist, 
make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Keep your own assets. Keep your job. Don't quit your job relying on somebody else to provide for you who may not. If you're going to buy an asset, make sure it's in your name as well, that you are protected as though you were in a business relationship with someone so that if that person up and leaves um, or tries to kick you out, you can do a petition to partition and you can get your equity out of the assets. Yep. Yeah, that's that's all good because... You know, especially like like we talked a little bit ago, you know, there's so many people not getting married or getting married later. And, right. you know, they they may be with that narcissist. And, you know, and, and having having your own, I'm, I, you know, I don't know, for years I've, you know, do, you know, as a mediator doing divorce, you know, husband's got his own accounts, wife's got her own accounts, and then they may have a joint account. Yep. Like okay, I'm 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 contributing to the marital funds and we're paying bills, but they still had their own. And when I have dealt with a narcissistic personality, there's one. It's in the husband's name, or you know what? And generally, it's the husband. It's the narcissist. But the wife has none of her own. Nothing's titled to her. Everything is his. And of course, for discovery. Can't get any discovery out of him whatsoever. No, exactly. Like, not get it. I mean, and 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 filing motion after motion, which is attorney fee after attorney fee, just trying to get the discovery <laughs> so we can do that. And it's so frustrating. Whereas having their own, or at least having access where you can print out and digitally save each month's bank statement or credit card statement, so that if that ever happens, I mean, no, I don't. I don't think anybody goes into a marriage gone. Well, I don't plan on this working. Right. Uh, this will, this but, will last six, seven years, but let's see yeah, what happens. But, but the you know statistics do tell us, and, and, and it, it's funny because I've had you know even when my daughter was getting married, and I love my son-in-law, love him. But even when she was getting married, I was like, okay, so you do understand that like one in two divorces, you know, one in two marriages end in divorce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ours is not going to. I'm like, I hope it's not going to, but. <laughs> Just in case. But I said, I said, I said, you know, and so, you know, granted they were young, didn't have anything, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is like prenumps. Yes. Protect what you have. Sort of like a parachute. It's like, okay, so if you went to Palm Beach International and you looked out on the tarmac and knew that one out of two planes was going to fall out of the sky, do you want a parachute? I would want a parachute. Or, or I'm not getting on the plane, like, right? Like, if you know that one out of two is going to fall out of the sky, but people go into it going, no, 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 everything's wonderful, everything's wonderful. And then you find out, oh, my gosh, I've got a hijacker. I've got a terrorist. I've got a narcissistic personality running the, flying this plane. How do I get out of this? And having a prenup is like having a parachute. Like, okay, you know, protect, 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 whether you are married or just dating. Right. Definitely. Any final words on? I think I think I I I'm pretty sure our listeners have finally figured out whether or not I think I think the signs are there, the information's there. Is your Valentine a narcissist or not? Uh, but any anything else you want to add? Anything else we should know? You know, I don't think that there's anything else that I would add in terms of things that you should know. But I would say, and um. If I were a medical doctor, I would I would say, don't Google. My uh, I always joke around with my doctor. I'll be like, you know, so Doctor Google told me that either I have you know a cold or I have three weeks left to live, and he'll be like, I keep telling you not to Google. You can't help yourself. You're not supposed to. But in this instance, there is so much inter- information available online that if you are wondering that there's a problem in your relationship, you know, it's funny. One of the first books I ever got on personality disorder was an idiot's guide or a dummy's guide. It was the yellow one, whichever one yeah, that is. Yeah. It's the dummies, maybe. Yeah. An, idiot, an, idiot, an idiot's guide to personality disorders. And I bought it um, years ago because I was dealing with a boss who was a problem. And I wanted to identify what personality disorder it was. And, um, and it had narcissistic personality disorder in there. Um, now people don't go to borders anymore because it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. And I'm old, but I, they don't I they go borders. online. And I think in this instance, it's a fair suggestion if you've got questions about patterns of behavior and you don't trust your own voice or your own experience because you are in it. Yeah, I think, and you and you haven't gotten to the therapist yet. Sign up for a therapist, but maybe it's going to take you a little while 
to get there. I think that there's so much information, so many checklists, so many articles, um, scientific articles. It doesn't need to be, you know, like HuffPost or something about, not that that's not a great resource, about narcissism and, and how to handle it. Um, I think that that listening to this podcast and then going and doing a little noodling around the net um, isn't a bad uh, isn't a bad thing. And then take that information to a therapist, to a trusted revise, advisor, to your friends, and say, "Listen, I'm in this situation. I'm thinking maybe it's not a healthy place for me to be. I'm going to be thinking about getting out of it. What do you recommend that I do?" And from my vantage point, and I'm about to cough, and I apologize. <clears throat> From my vantage point, I recommend you get that therapist, you get a good lawyer, good mediator, good friends, um, and you make sure that all of your ducks are in a row before you ever let on to that uh, narcissist that you're headed out, with the exception that if you have safety as an issue, right? We haven't kind of talked about that. Um, I don't think the two necessarily go hand in hand, but frequently they may. And so if you have issues of your own safety or the safety of your children, you act on their in on their or your own be, that behalf in the first instance. You get yeah. out, you get a restraining order, you go to the police, whatever you need to yep. do. If that isn't in fact the problem, my recommendation is you make sure that all your ducks are in a row, and then that so that you're emotionally ready to get out, and then you get out. Yeah. Well, Cece, I greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast. <laughs> this is great information. Feel free to um, have me again. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> So I'll just invite so, myself back. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You're welcome back. So, question, or actually, actually, for for the listeners, if they want to find you, find out more about you, hire you, contact you, um, how can they do so? They can go to my law firm's website, which is davismalm.com, which is D-A-V-I-S, V as in Victor, I-S, M-A-L-M dot com, or they can just Google Carolyn Bantine or Cece Bantine. Okay. Um, and then do you practice outside of Massachusetts or just? I'm just in Massachusetts. We do have practitioners um, who um, practice in New Hampshire. Okay. But my practice is Massachusetts. Okay, great. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You have a great day. If you have a comment or question regarding anything that we discuss, email us at info at iChatMediation.com. That's info at iChat, I-C-H-A-T, Mediation.com. And stay tuned to hear your shout out and have your question answered here on the show. For more information about my services or to schedule your mediation with me, either in person or using my iChat Mediation virtual platform built by Cisco Communications, visit me online at iMediating.com. Dot com. Call me at 561-262-9121, toll free at 877-822-1479, or email me at mbrickman at iChatMediation.com.